You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Siegwin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge Community Church. So excited you were able to join us today. Happy Father's Day. Thank you to all the fathers out there. We just hope that today is a great blessing to you um, and uh, hope that you are honored well. Um, We're going to go ahead and continue in our Acts uh, sermon series. And before we do, I want to just go ahead and dive in with a word of prayer. So let's go ahead and do that. Father, thank you so much uh, for your mercy and your goodness. Thank you so much for your word that you used to change us and guide us and mold us and shape us. I pray that we would move forward today in our walk with you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've heard this phrase many times, uh, uh, a bad apple uh, spoils the whole bunch. And, and I actually this week was wondering about like, is this like a true thing? Does a bad apple really spoil the whole bunch? And, and what I found out was that actually as certain fruits uh, begin to ripen, they emit a gas. And that gas as it emits uh, causes the other fruits around it to, to do the same thing actually. And so they begin to emit this gas and it causes each of them to ripen more quickly. And so uh, when one apple begins to ripen too quickly and the other ones will, will be quicker as well, and it can actually spoil the whole bunch. And in fact, uh, if one apple gets mold, it can, mold begins to seek other food sources and it will also uh, begin to attach to other apples more quickly. So uh, this, is, this is actually the, it's a true statement that one bad apple truly can spoil the whole bunch. And... Uh, what, what is true about that is true also true about communities. It's also true about communities. Man, one person's negativity, one person's bitterness or anger, one person's frustration with leadership or other people in the church, that negativity, that stuff can begin to transfer and begin to spread very quickly like, like mold growing on, on another piece of fruit. And so one bad apple can truly begin to spoil the whole bunch. And today in our passage, uh, we see a lot of good fruit. But this is also the first passage uh, in the book of Acts where we see the Christian community, within the Christian community, uh, some bad fruit starting to show. It's the very first time we see this uh, taking place. Um, and, and, uh, and all of this is revealed um, at the apostles' feet. We see this multiple times in our passage. Um, and this is, this is actually the title of my sermon today, At the Apostles' Feet. Because at the apostles' feet, three things are given. At the apostles' feet, are, uh, there's uh, good gifts given, there's destructive gifts given, and then there's righteous judgment given. These are the three things that we see, and these are going to be our three points. So good gifts, destructive gifts, and, and righteous judgment. And so let's go ahead and just dive in to, uh, to the first point. Good gifts. Good gifts are given at the apostles' feet. We see this in, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. So I'm going to go ahead and read this, this section. Now the entire group 
of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were, uh, were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what they sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus at birth, uh, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, this passage should actually remind you uh, of Acts chapter 2. Um, back at the very end of the chapter, we see this community, this Christian community that, be, that begins to share everything, uh, begins to hold all things in common. And so we see the same thing happening here, but we also get a little bit more detail. We begin to see that what's happening, the way they share their money, is they bring it and they lay it at the apostles' feet. They lay it at the apostles' feet. And what's really interesting about this is, is it actually teaches us something about why these are good gifts, these good gifts laid at the apostles' feet. What does this signify? It signifies, I think, three major things. Uh, one, one reason that they are good gifts is because they're a, a signif- they signify a trust in their, in their leadership. They signify trust in their leadership. They're, they're laying down their, their goods at the feet of, of the, the leadership of the apostles saying, we trust that what you're going to do with this is going to be good things. Man, you cannot have a healthy community if you don't trust the leadership, right? Um, And in fact, there's one commentary uh, that that says this, when gifts or offerings are made to a king or priest or teacher, they are not placed in his hands, but at his feet. There's this sense of also submission that's taking place. It's saying, I trust you. And and not only that, but but like, I'm not just going to give this to you like I would give to a friend, but I'm giving it to you as I would give to an authority figure. And so there's this trust in their leadership. But the second thing we see that it signifies is is there's a oneness within the community. There's a sense that everybody seems to recognize the Imago Dei in one another, the the image of God on all people. These were people who would recognize the financial struggle of those around them because of whether it's because of systemic inequalities or persecution or oppression uh, or or just just plain hard times, you know. And, And... it's, they see this and they want to do something. They're, they're burdened by their brother or their sister's struggles. They're burdened by these things. And so as they, as they see them, they actually lay these gifts at the apostles' feet saying, we want to do something for these people. So these are good gifts because they, they encourage the oneness of the community. But also, in encouraging the oneness of the community, there's a sense of of empowerment that happens. There's a reversal of marginalization that happens. The the fact that it says there was not a needy person among them is a good indicator that they they were not going to allow anyone to suffer while they were thriving. They They would see someone else's suffering and they would say, I have extra, I'm going to give it. I don't need this money. I'm going to give it. Lay it at the apostles' feet. And that way we can take care of everyone in the community because we are all brothers and sisters. We are all one. If they suffer, we suffer. And so that, that's this, this, this beautiful thing that's, that's taking place. And this is why we see that, that these gifts are truly good gifts. 
And, and I want to make a point here that I think is really important. This is not some kind of like socialism taking place. This is genuine generosity. The leadership is not enforcing this kind of like, if you don't give, there's, some, there's something wrong with you. There, they, what is happening is all these people are, are taking it upon themselves to begin to give. They're saying, man, we want to be a part of something greater. There's individuals that are giving, as I'll, begin to as I'll talk about here in a minute. But I was thinking about what if everyone who claimed to be a Christian today uh, uh, gave even just 10% of what these people were giving. They were giving everything, right? But say we as Christians just gave 10%, the tithe, that's what we call it, the tithe. Well, say you just gave 10%. What would, what would that look like? There was a, a writer named Mike Holmes who did a little bit of research a while back, and, and he addresses this, like what would happen if Christians across the world did this? Just giving a minimum of 10%. And according to Holmes, uh, the $165 billion uh, that would be, become available could be used in this way. And he labels off different, different things that you could do with it. And I love what he says. Like $25 billion could uh, relieve global hunger and eliminate deaths from preventable disease, diseases within five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically uh, in places where a majority of people live on less than a dollar a day. 12 billion could end illiteracy. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. And 100 to 110 billion dollars would be left over for additional ministry expenses. Man, imagine if we did this. The world around us would not be looking at us at, at, at Christianity and saying, like, we know what they're standing against because that's a lot of what we talk about. But instead, they'd be going, man, we know what they stand for. We see the, the difference that they're making in their community and in their world. And I pray that we, we would be that kind of church. Man, that when, when people see us, that they see that same generosity, right? This is the kind of generosity that we want to see birth before we even officially launch. This is why we are getting involved in, in Rodriguez Elementary and, and uh, connecting with our community and going, how can we help and love our community who's going through this difficult time with the rest of the world? But what are some ways we can love and serve them? And so we're giving resources and, and we're going and delivering those resources. Um, and, and so I would encourage you, if you haven't gone started to do that, if you haven't signed up to help uh, go deliver or to, to give something, man, I encourage you to do that. Be a generous giver. Be a generous person. But, but even, even more so, like, like, man, just let generosity be a part of who you are and what you do. Because generous individuals make up generous communities. And in fact, that is exactly what the last two verses of our section here are talking about. These last two verses point out that, uh, that a generous community is built by generous individuals. Um, we, we, talked about, we see this like community of people um, doing these things, laying their gifts at the apostles' feet, and then all of a sudden it zooms in on one individual, Barnabas, and it says that he lays his money at the apostles' feet. The whole point is to say that, that this, it's not just a, a random community that's kind of being forced to do this, but it's individuals whose hearts and desire is to serve and love those around them. It's generous individuals who make up a generous community. And so... Um, while we see these good gifts laid at the apostles' feet, we also see destructive gifts laid at the apostles' feet. 
This is my second point, destructive gifts. We're in, now in chapter 5, verses 1 through, uh, through 4. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. Now, I want to start out by saying, like, there is, uh, there's no chapter and verse divisions when, this, when, this, when Acts was written. So the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 is meant, meant to be uh, put together, that you can see... Uh, individuals who make up a community. And what we see in Barnabas is an individual who makes up the majority of the community, which is a generous and loving community. But what you also see is that there are, that now you see the beginnings of a destructive kind of fruit entering into this community. Ananias and Sapphira are doing something totally different. So you have these, these two compared individuals. And as we see in, in verse 4, no, one, no one's under compulsion to give, right? They, they, it was his to do with what he wanted. But here we see not only a couple who decides to keep money for themselves but they don't, uh, that they don't need, but to pretend like they gave everything. To pretend like they gave everything. And that's really the major issue here. Their motive is interesting because you think about like what could their motive have been in this? It, it's, it's, it's based either in fear, like worry that people will, will think that they're, you know, oh man, they have this land over here, well, they, better, they should sell it and they should give it. They're worried about what people think about them. Or they just want, uh, they want the power. They want people to look up to them in some way. So they're seeing uh, in this situation uh, this, this, this worry that's going on. So it's based out of fear. It's based out of them going, man, how can I benefit socially from this? How can I be looked up upon, you know, at, looked up at? You know, like people, they want that kind of notoriety and that kind of honor and status. But the whole point of the community that was giving at the apostles' feet, the whole point was the flattening of social status. The whole point was to say we are all one, no one is better than another. That, that's the whole reason for this whole thing. And here they're ta- they see this situation and they go, you know what, I'm gonna take advantage of this and I'm gonna manipulate the system so that I can be lifted up. This is why what they're doing is so, so corrupt. They're at work to destroy the unity within this young community. They think they've like cracked this code, right? They think they can earn honor uh, that, that others don't, aren't, don't have. And the reality is, again, that, that this false generosity, it threatens this, this beautiful community and this system and one bad apple really uh, is endangering the entire bunch. This actually makes me think back on uh, another biblical story with another couple, Adam and Eve. In the very beginning, from the very beginning, this is the same kind of thing that happened. God creates this beautiful community, this beautiful environment, this, uh, this place of generosity and giving. God has given them so much, and yet what do they do? They see the one thing they're not supposed to have, they go and they take 
They go and they take. This is very similar to the, like the, take, the keeping back, the taking. The same thing that Ananias and Sapphira are doing, the taking. It's about, it's about me and mine. Um, it's the same thing that they were doing. And guess what happens? These, these, this one couple destroys, uh, corrupts the rest of creation from that point forward. This one couple does that. One bad apple really does spoil the whole bunch. We see this happen again and again through Scripture. Uh, in fact, you see the same thing happen with Achan and Joshua 7. Um, and, and it's like this biblical theme. The reality is that, that one individual's sin matters greatly. One individual's sin matters greatly. And so, yeah, this, this, uh, this community's uh, whole system, this whole, whole beautiful picture of generosity, it's all in danger. The idea that God had planned to multiply his image and his likeness throughout the whole world and, and that whole plan had been like majorly delayed, the, the fact that that took place then, now we see the same thing at work. And in fact, we see uh, Peter talk about it being, in verse 3, it being Satan at work in this. Uh, The New Covenant Commentary series on Acts writes, uh, Just as a couple had been involved in Satan's attempt to destroy God's plan for humanity from the beginning, the same Satan is trying again to destabilize the new beginning of God's plan to reach out to humanity through the ministry of the church by corrupting the service of the couple. Man, The same thing that was taking place in Genesis we see taking place here. The same enemy of God's plan is at work in both situations. And the reality is that we are in a very similar situation as this young community. We are a church plant that hasn't even launched yet. We we are in a situation where what we do now matters deeply. It sets the DNA. It sets in place what we're going to be like as we move forward. The kind of generosity we give now, it's going to shape the way the community will will look in the future. So what you do and what I do matters deeply. And that also includes the sin that we commit. Any hidden sins or any sins out in the open, whatever it might be, we need to be a community that confesses, repents, and turns to God as quickly as possible. We don't want Satan to endanger our community We want to be a part of God's rescue plan in the way that all Christians are called to be. And so this is what what I would encourage you to do. Be a part of that, whether it's through generosity or whatever, but also through repentance. Let's, Let's continue to live in humble repentance, admitting when we've messed up. Man, but think about think about this. Ananias' sin was interesting because he didn't use any words to sin. He didn't lie. Uh, directly, but but they, he said he was lying to the Holy Spirit. Think about think about this. Ananias simply came and laid goods down at the apostles' feet. In fact, from an outsider's perspective, you might go, "Hey, he's giving money. Uh, he's giving money. Like that's a good act in itself." And yet, his motives are so corrupt. And oftentimes, don't we do the same thing for status? 
I mean, I know that I have been guilty of this. I know that when, uh, when I've uh, started to write sermons at times, even writing sermons, like writing a sermon's a good thing, preaching a sermon's a good thing, but if I catch myself trying to impress people with my Greek or my Hebrew knowledge, or if I catch myself trying to gain some kind of status, lift myself up by how good I communicate, how good, how well I communicate, right? Like, if I catch myself doing those kinds of things, I'm no better than, than Ananias and Sapphira. I'm doing good things outwardly, but my heart is corrupt and it, it endangers the entire community. Same thing with like social media posts. It's easy for us to like, man, you have a good time in the word. You know, you, maybe you spend some time in the word in the morning and you feel this like, man, I want to share this with people. That's a good thing. But sometimes we find ourselves going, man, you know, I, I want people to know I was reading my Bible, so maybe I need to post something, you know? Uh, or we have these like humble brags, you know? These are the kinds of things that, that on the outside, there's like kind of like, it's kind of beautiful. It's like, man, that, that looks good. But reality is on the inside of our hearts, we need, we need to repent of our selfish, self-centered motives that are, that has ca- that's causing uh, the destruction of our own, our own selves and the destruction of, of the possible potential destruction of our community. And so we, we can't leave sin undealt with. We have to deal with sin. It's, this is critical. And so, uh, so I would encourage you, if you haven't uh, done some, you know, searching, like search yourself and ask yourself, are the things that you're doing uh, for the good of others or simply to, to lift yourself up? But the story doesn't stop here. Um, at the apostles' feet, the community gave good gifts, and, and as we saw, they gave destructive gifts. But lastly, we see at the apostles' feet, God gives righteous judgment. And this is in verses 5 through 11. God gives righteous judgment. When he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead, and a great fear came on all who heard. The young men got up, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. That, uh, not knowing what had happened, tell me, Peter asked, asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at, are at the door and they, will come carry, and they will carry you out. Instantly she dropped dead at his feet. When the young men came in, they, they found her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then great fear came on the whole church and on all who heard these things. Man, dang, that's some like Old Testament justice right there. <laughs> like, no, for real though, like, like, I think sometimes we can read these passages like, man, that was a bit intense. That's a bit much. You know, Jesus came and he brought grace and mercy, but man, like he came to deal with sin. He didn't just come to like pretend like it didn't exist. He came to deal with sin. And in fact, in the same way that light comes and penetrates and destroys darkness, his holiness comes and it comes and it destroys, it destroys sin and wickedness. And so here we see, man, these, these people uh, who are supposed to be a holy priesthood coming in and thinking they can bring in this, this mess and, and ultimately it, it kills them. It causes them to fall down dead. This is, this is really the danger of our sin. Is, is it, sin is dangerous for our own selves, for our own souls. 
Man, both Ananias and Sapphira are guilty, though, we see here. And in verse 9, when Peter says, why did you agree to test the Spirit? Why did you agree to test the Spirit? He's talking about agreeing with Ananias. He's saying, Sapphira, you and him did this together. In fact, in verse 2, we saw that, that, uh, that, they, that she, it was done with her knowledge. There was this like intentional planning. Like this, this, like, this, was, a, this was planned out. This, was, uh, you know, this wasn't just something that they were like, well, you know, this could make us a little money, and they, they do it, and they don't think. Of, like, it was like, no, like, they're going to plan this out. She's going to come in. She's asked, and she still lies. Like, this, is, this is very, very intentional. Um, and it's because of this that both of them are judged. Uh, and now because of their weakness, both of them are destroyed. Sapphira uh, could have brought the rest of the money, right? She could have told the truth. She could have told the truth. She could have come. He could have said, is this the amount of money? She could have said, man, you caught me. No, it's not. And you know what I mean? Like it could have, She could have allowed it to penetrate her heart. But even when Peter asks her, it didn't hit her. She didn't, she had, is hardening, hardening her heart even further. And you know when you have to lie to hide your sin, you have to harden yourself even further. This is exactly what she's doing. She's hiding and she's hardening her heart. And, and it's almost like she had this second chance. She had a chance to repent, to go, oh, you know what, I'll go get the rest of the money. Uh, or, you know what, that's not the amount, um, but we wanted to give a, a something. You know, she could have done something to repent and change, and she didn't. And so we see this, this uh, woman who had this chance, and she falls down dead. In the same way, Ananias, he could have changed his mind on his way in there. He could have done something different. He, he goes and he lays a step down. And it's because of this sin, this like intentional, like premeditated sin, that, that they are judged. But what's it's really interesting in this, in this section, there's a lot of talk about, uh, about feet. I, I was thinking about this. And I, I, I've been saying, laid at the apostles' feet. There, there's some intent behind that. Um, actually, feet are mentioned five times in our small passage that we're reading here. Five times. And in fact, Luke seems to have a great concern with, uh, with feet. He talks about feet a lot through his gospel and through the, through the book of Acts. But here, uh, and I think there's a lot more to that, but, uh, but what I think is happening here is there's almost this like artistic imagery being, being painted with his words as he talks about, about feet. He says that the feet of those who buried your husband are coming to carry you away as well. Like that, that kind of like, instead of saying the men are, that, that buried your husband, he says the feet that did that. It's this strange uh, usage of feet, but I think there's this like artistic thing happening. He's unfolding it almost like this uh, like low camera angle. It's like this really creative artistic shot that's taking place where um, if this were a movie, uh, there would be a shot of the, the gifts that are given and, and then like blurred apostles' feet in the background, right? And then, and then uh, all of a sudden you see her face come and land on top of the, uh, the, the pile of money there, right? And then all of a sudden you see feet come on and then you see her body dragged off. It's like a vivid image, actually. It's a really vivid image. Um, and, and I think what Luke is trying to do is, is paint the intensity of this situation. He's saying, yeah, yeah, it's not just that she dropped dead. She like fell down at his feet and feet, you know, the feet that carried, you know, the feet that carried her husband will also carry her. There's like this intense picture being painted. And think about this too, she fell down 
at their feet where their gift was. That means that a dead body, a corpse, was on the, on the gift. It is a defiled gift now. That's like, there's a lot going on in all of this, but, but it's through this righteous judgment that the, the community is actually restored. This was a, a, a situation where, where God had to remove the bad fruit to protect the rest of the community. But God's desire is never to remove the fruit. His desire is never to destroy the fruit. It is to heal and, and make it whole and lift it up so that the whole bunch can thrive together. That is his true desire. His desire is that we would repent and turn and so our hearts would be softened and, soften and he would be able to heal, not just, uh, not just protect the whole community, but also preserve our own hearts. That is God's ultimate desire. But she had hardened so much and Ananias had hardened his heart so much in all their plotting and planning. They had these like severed or these uh, seared consciences, you know, and God had to remove them in order to preserve his, his community. But the thing is, you don't have to uh, experience the wrath of God, the judgment of God. You don't have to experience that. You can turn from your sins. You can repent from your sins. We all have that opportunity. Every day we have that opportunity. Regularly, every time we mess up, every moment there is that opportunity. We can always turn from our sins. And in fact, if you are a believer, there is no more condemnation or fear of judgment. What happens if you're truly a believer is your heart is transformed. And the kind of generosity we're talking about is the kind of thing that begins to take place. It just flows out of you. And when you fall short of that, because you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, your heart is convicted and you repent and turn. Instead of hardening, the Spirit helps to keep your heart soft. This is, the, this is what God does and he, how he is at work in your life and in my life. And so we don't have to fear whether or not this judgment's coming on us, you know. But, but you know, if, if you haven't repented lately, man, check your heart. This is a good reminder to ask, uh, ask ourselves, is the Spirit of God at work in my life? Have I truly received and trusted in him? Have I truly given my life to him? But one major way that he, he heals this community is by increasing the fear of the Lord. He increases the fear of the Lord. Uh, Luke has this like major concern for the fear of the Lord. What you fear is, is major in his, his gospel and, and, and in Acts. And in fact, uh, Luke's gospel uses the word fear twice as many times as, any of, as, as the other three gospels. And, and uh, the book of Acts uses it three times as many as any other book in the New Testament. Luke is focused on fear, and he thinks about these two things. Who are you fearing? Are you fearing humans, people? You know, are you fearing people? Or are you fearing God? Who or what do you fear? And what, what we see is that when you fear humans, uh, you, sin, sin begins to creep in. You begin to see, uh, seek out social status and those kinds of things. But when you fear God, boldness begins to cause, cause you to go out and share the gospel and live this radical, generous, generous life. You know, that 
the the kind of fear that that is is uh, that produces a, a healthy life is actually the fear of the Lord and we're not talking about like some kind of like oh gosh he's gonna kill me at any minute we're talking about a kind of reverence and awe and understanding of his power and his justice and his goodness and understanding of how great and how big he is that is the kind of fear we're talking about we're still talking about our dad, our father in heaven, who loves us deeply. So it's not the same kind of fear. Like I said, we don't have to fear condemnation and judgment and those kinds of things if we've trusted in him. But when we have the fear of the Lord dwelling in our hearts, it helps, uh, it helps us. It helps the community. This is how he begins to restore the community. And in fact, we saw Peter's boldness as he preached because he did not fear humans, but he feared God. And in the same way, uh, we see in Proverbs 16, 6, it says that uh, iniquity is atoned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. Had Ananias and Sapphira had the fear of the Lord dwelling within them, they would have turned from their evil. And what we see is that in both situations, when Ananias falls dead and when Sapphira falls down dead, in both situations, we see the fear of the Lord fills the community. God is not just, just wiping people out. He's healing and restoring the community through this righteous judgment. It's a beautiful, a beautiful thing that, that God would increase the fear of the Lord within the community. It helps them to be bold and go forward and, and, and do more generous things. They don't fear uh, the worries of this world. They're not, they're, not, uh, they're not struggling with the same kind of lack of peace because they have peace and hope in, in Jesus. And so the fear of the Lord causes them to go out to be generous and to share the gospel with everything that they have and with everything they, they say. This is what we're called to do. But I want to close out with this. My prayer is that, that we would be a community marked by our generosity and, and that any self-centeredness or fear of men uh, would be done away with. And that if, if we recognize our sin in our hearts, that we would deal with it immediately. We would run to God and allow him uh, to heal us. That's what God wants to do. God's desire is not to toss out the bad fruit, to toss out the bad apple, but to heal it and to preserve the entire community. So I have just a few uh, application points that I would like to, to add here before we close out. First of all, be generous. Be generous. If you haven't started giving to the church already, this is a great place to start. Um, be generous. Give, give to the church. It's, uh, it, it, we are all on a mission together. And so when we come together and we uh, are able to, to partner together, we can do more as a community for our community than we can as individuals. So it's, it's a, a great place to start. Be generous there. But also be generous in, in the way that we've talked about with, with uh, serving Rodriguez Elementary uh, and giving food to, and, and products to help care for the community as we deal with COVID uh, and these kinds of things. So we want, want to encourage you, be generous. But secondly, be quick to repent. Be quick to re repent. We can't allow sin to go on unrecognized. We need to, to take a moment to recognize the sin in our own hearts, and our own lives, and repent. Let God soften our hearts instead of, uh, instead of hardening our own hearts instead of having our conscience seared 
let's not be like Ananias and Sapphira, but let us be transformed and changed because we are a community that lives in a, in a state of repentance and humility. And lastly, embrace the fear of the Lord. Embrace the fear of the Lord. Spend time this week uh, focusing on God's power, on God's justice. Spend time thinking about the, the greatness of who God is, the infinity, like God's greatness, His transcendence. Spend time realizing who He is. And as you do that, allow the fear of the Lord to fill you. Let it encourage you to share the gospel and to be generous and to not fear the, the, the uh, things that are coming at us in this world or people's opinions in this world. Fear the Lord. Embrace the fear of the Lord. I'm going to close out with a word of prayer, uh, and then we'll come back with a benediction after worship. God, thank you so much that you, uh, ha- are, uh, that you want to encourage us to be generous people, to give uh, good gifts. God, I pray that we would avoid destructive gifts that could uh, potentially destroy our community and what, God, what you're at work to do. I thank you that you are a God who protects your community, and I pray that you would fill us with the fear of the Lord that we would trust you and that we would love you more deeply uh, and more intimately every day. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.